Welcome to the Changing State of Talent Acquisition, where your hosts, Graham Thornton and Martin Pred, share their unfiltered takes on what's happening in the world of talent acquisition today. Each week brings new guests who share their stories on the tools, trends, and technologies currently impacting the changing state of talent acquisition. Have feedback or want to join the show? Head on over to changestate.io. And now, on to this week's episode. All right, Marty. So before we dive into this week's episode, let's uh, let's set the stage a little bit for Mayor Suarez. So I'll let you set the stage. You go first. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's I'm going to give you a little credit. You're the one that set this whole thing up. I think it was via Twitter. Am I right? It is Twitter. I'm telling you, Twitter is where the magic happens, and you know you got to get more active on Twitter. But you know, no, that's another, what I do on Twitter combo. is I just lurk and you know read all the negative news and get myself worked up, and then I don't ever tweet. But maybe I'll change. See, you're that. following the wrong. You're following the wrong people. This is positive news on Twitter. This is this is what I'm there for. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So just to set the stage for people who aren't aware of who Mayor Suarez is, Mayor Suarez is the mayor of Miami, and he made a lot of waves on social media, Twitter specifically, in the last, I don't know, say two, three months, because he's been reaching out to business owners, specifically of tech startups and other tech businesses who are talking about relocating to Miami. And he's been sort of rolling out the red carpet saying, you know, you're welcome in Miami. What can we do to make this happen? And he's got a lot of press for it. You know, it's been interesting from my perspective to see all the press because on the one hand, it's like, uh, isn't that the job of a mayor to, to kind of encourage businesses to uh, move there or thrive there? We shouldn't necessarily be shocked. And then I got to thinking about it, especially if you think about our, you know, we don't get all political, but you think about our mayor here in Seattle, if anything, we have almost like a, an anti-business climate, I would say, in, in Seattle. So it, it is remarkable, for better or for worse. I don't think you see a lot of mayors doing that. And maybe it, it's obvious, but we wanted to have him on the show because, you know, Miami has been called the, the next Silicon Valley. People may or may not be aware of some, some of the flight that is allegedly going on from you know previous tech hubs like, you know, the Bay Area, of course, uh, Seattle to a lesser extent, Austin as well. You know, lots of people are leaving California because it's super expensive. The pandemic has hit that state particularly hard. Leadership there has been kind of a nightmare, I think, in terms of how they've managed the pandemic. Uh, Everyone I know that's in California is just kind of super upset about being in kind of a police state. And the ironic thing is I don't think their their numbers, like for all the lockdowns and business closures and all that, their their actual numbers in terms of caseloads and deaths are quite high relative to the other states in the, in the country. That's my understanding of the, the backstory. What I miss, Graham? No, I think that's right. And you know, I think what's interesting for you, know, for you and I, and this is why we're excited about this conversation, is you know, we talk a lot about you know, talent acquisition from the eyes of an employer. And I think it's glossed over a lot, the eyes of you know, a city and, and public in bringing talent into a city. And you know, we're in Seattle, and you can see this a lot. Like, you know, a lot of times cities grow I mean, they do grow because because companies bring jobs to the areas. And I think that the interesting part for us is, you know, it, the connection to talent branding or talent attraction is now being, you know, trumpeted or being, um, you know, undertaken by, you know, by a mayor and by a whole city. So this kind of started with Amazon HQ2 just a couple of years ago, right? Maybe it was 18 months. Who knows at this point, uh, maybe even longer. Three, you know, our Amazon's yeah. having these 
three, four. Yeah. I mean, Amazon was bidding to, you know, to figure out where they're going to put their next headquarters in. I don't know. That was the first time at scale, at least that all these cities were talking about, boy, all of the reasons why, you know, a business should, you know, relocate to a city. And, you know, I think that, you know, once Amazon HQ2 kind of ended and, and Miami was in the top, uh, you know, top 10, I think final 10 for that. Once that ended, it was just, <laughs> you know, just a lot of complaining from everyone uh, about that process. And, you know, when Amazon didn't select their city, I'm not saying Miami didn't complain, but, you know, it's, oh boy, Amazon just wanted a bunch of data and information from an order, you know, from the city and then make that decision. So, you know, I think in a way what Miami's doing now is, you know, can kind of continuing that talent branding for our city and really focusing on the, boy, hey, we have a workforce. We have, you know, we have a tech ecosystem that, you know, is super, you know, vibrant. And, you know, also, hey, maybe if you live in Seattle, I mean, it doesn't rain every day, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that you, know, you got to think about, you know, attracting talent to a city in a very similar way, you know, that you would to attracting talent to an organization. You know, we're on the phone, I was on the phone with someone else talking about this the other day. You know, and I said, well, yeah, but I've been to Miami and the nightlife isn't that great. And, you know, I've been to Miami, I would have a different opinion, but that isn't, I think that's missing the point, right? The point of employer branding is, hey, what are you good at? And lean into that and what, you know, and find the people that, you know, gravitate towards or are looking for what you're good at. So, you know, Seattle, fine. All right. It rains. Great. But hey, guess what? Like, you know, you like skiing, you know, we're an hour and a half away from three different ski resorts, right? You like being outdoors? Boy, like you're 20 minutes away from the mountains. You know, you like the water? We live on the Puget Sound. Ah, you like seafood? Like, you know, it's that same sort of concept, you know, of brand new city. Now, of course, there's a lot of other layers that are much more related to talent than just that, right? Like talking about, you know, UWs and their commitment to, um, you know, healthcare and their, you know, the medical school, right? So like, you know, deciding like how you pair, you know, uh, workforce development, you know, with cities to attract talent is a super interesting concept to me. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, it kind of reminds me of um, the the pitches that cities do to, to win over uh, for like the Olympic Games. Obviously, it's different in many ways, but it's hard to think of another example other than the Amazon example where a whole city kind of marshals its resources together to make this huge pitch represent itself as a city to win something of, of value like that. And, you know, I think the work divorce development piece is spot on. And I think the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm super excited to talk to Mayor Suarez about this, is that, you know, it doesn't have to be an Amazon to be a successful strategy. Now, obviously, Amazon winning an Amazon would be life-changing for a city um, because it just bring a massive influx of people that have disposable income and it'd be great for the tax base. And, you know, you can think about all the downstream effects that are really great for a city. But, um, you know, I, I think you can also build something like that engine for economic growth more slowly you know maybe it starts with a few tech startups and maybe you have some tweets online and suddenly you've got this moniker of the next silicon valley attached and more tech workers start thinking hey maybe miami someplace i should check out you know i can work remotely now you know let's check that out and you know before you know it you're known as a place for tech talent you start to have more more and more employers there and you know i think you could really see a, a snowball effect happen you know, relatively quickly on the scale of things happening in this space. You know, is it going to happen in six months? No, but if you start actually branding yourself this way, I think it's reasonable to think that over the course of three to five years, you could really start seeing a um, a real change in both the you know the available talent in that in that market and the kinds of companies that are therefore attracted to it. Yeah, I think that's great. And you know, I think the other piece that you know Miami's doing a great job of, and we'll get to the episode here, is 
they're recognizing that it's not just attracting one, you know, one company. And they're recognizing that it's not just attracting executives to move there, right? Like they're investing in, you know, the Miami ecosystem. And I think that is the, you know, the, the most important part that I want to watch is, you know, the, the ecosystem itself. So, you know, with, with that said, Marty, I think, uh, I think let's get over to the mayor himself and uh, go on to this week's episode. All right. Sounds good. And we're back for another episode of the Changing State of Town Acquisition. Super excited for our guest this week. Uh, everyone knows him as uh, Mayor Suarez from Miami. So before we get started, we'll do a quick introduction. And um, for the man who needs no introduction, Mayor Suarez, will you give us uh, maybe a quick background of your journey to becoming mayor of Miami? Thank you, Graham. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you and Marty. You know, uh, it, it was not inevitable that I was going to get involved in politics. My father uh, was uh, mayor of Miami from 1985 to 1993. He was the first Cuban mayor of Miami. And as a young boy, uh, I was eight years old when he was elected and 16 when he left. I wasn't all that enamored with politics because I saw someone who I obviously idealized in my father and someone who I felt had you know, sort of made it in America in the quintessential American dream. And I saw sort of the peaks in the valleys and a lot of the unfairness. And even though we're now in a more dynamic and sort of unfair world in some ways, back then, you know, seeing the way he was treated at times by the press, it really sort of left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And uh, having said that, I, I, you know, went to college, went to law school, um, got married, opened a small business. And I just, and, you know, and, and, you know, got involved in my homeowners association, did the things that normal people do when they ultimately decide they want to be part of the solution. So I ended up deciding in 2009, actually 2007, that I wanted to, the, the, the commissioner for the area that I lived in decided to run for mayor. And, uh, you know, I decided if, if I was ever going to do it, and obviously there were a lot of people that were pushing me to do it for many, many years. Now was the time to do it. I was married, didn't have kids. I was running a small business. I had the, the luxury of, of, you know, credit making my own schedule. So I decided to do it. And I, I ran for commissioner at the time for councilman and got elected in a very, very close race by 262 votes in a runoff. So I often tell people that, uh, but for 131 people changing their minds, I probably wouldn't be here right now. So it's, it, it's really a, a sort of a PSA on why people should get involved and should go out and vote because, you know, small uh, elections can be decided by very, very small margins and they can change the destiny of a person and they can t- change the destiny of a city and of the world. So I think uh, it's important uh, for people to be involved. But after being a councilman for eight years and dealing with uh, the financial crash of 2008, 2009 and sort of bringing back the city from the precipice, I decided to run for mayor. By that time, I had already uh, gotten a tremendous taste for public service and for the impact that I could have on our city and on society by having this platform. And I was blessed to be elected in the year 2017 in November by 86% uh, of the vote of the city. And so for me, that was just uh, an incredibly humbling uh, a vote of confidence in my vision for the city. And uh, today we find ourselves at another inflection point where I think we have an ability to have a tremendous J-curve moment if we play our cards right, and if we focus on maximizing this opportunity. Well, that's a really great backstory. Um, and I wasn't aware that you were a small business owner. So I think that brings an interesting perspective to uh, some of the approaches you're taking with workforce development in Miami. You know, obviously, we don't need to tell you, we don't need to tell our audience. The last year has been a crazy inflection point, as you say, for labor markets in particular. You know, a lot of people have gone out of, out of jobs, out of work. 
uh, we've seen major trends in terms of people starting to work from home. And of course, what we've seen here on the West Coast is a lot of cities, uh, perhaps unlike Miami, are not doing all that well. Um, you've seen a lot of businesses going out of business here in Seattle. Small businesses are really suffering. And you know what really strikes us about Miami is that you've taken a very different approach. I wonder if you could just share for people who maybe aren't aware of the Miami story, you know, what are you doing differently uh, than some of these other major cities in the U.S.? And how do you think Miami stands out? Well, we're doing just about everything different <laughs> than some of these major cities uh, in the U.S. The first thing we're doing is uh, we're lowering taxes while other cities are raising taxes. We have, under my leadership, the second lowest tax rate since the 1960s. Second thing we're doing is we're investing in our, our police department. We're investing in safety and public safety and technology. So we had a, a reduction of crime of 25% last year. And the year before that, the lowest homicide rate since 1954. So uh, we're doing that differently than I think a lot of cities uh, in America. And, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're growing tremendously. We, we grew eight and a half percent my first year, 10 and a half percent my second year, and six and a half percent my third year. We're investing in climate resiliency initiatives to make sure that Miami is here forever. You know, a lot of major cities are dealing with some sort of climatic phenomenon that is, uh, you know, putting in jeopardy their, their existential existence. So, I mean, we're, again, we're, we're investing in reducing crime. We're, we invest a tremendous amount in our homeless population. We have an extremely low homeless population. We've eliminated homelessness by about 90% in the city from a high of 9,000 to under 1,000. We have, I think, about 962 homeless as of the last census. Um, you have cities that have 20, 30, 40,000 homeless in their city. Um, so, you know, we have done everything essentially diametrically differently from every other city, and it's working. So I think that's super interesting. And, you know, the way we've thought about this Miami, um, we'll call it, I don't know, the, the Miami billboard, right? You know, you're, you're investing a lot in talent migration. Um, and in a way, you know, you're kind of treating uh, what we would consider employer branding or talent branding as, as city branding, right? And I think that, you know, a few years ago, Amazon kind of, you know, started this sort of city bidding type of model with their HQ2 pitches, right? And I know Miami was in the running, you know, there as well. And, you know, you've kind of taken that extension and, you know, instead of just fighting for Amazon to come to Miami, you know, you're trying to create that platform of, hey, Miami is the right place for other organizations, all organizations to invest and sort of follow suit, right? So, you know, maybe maybe you can uh, dive a little bit more into, you know, your thought on the next Silicon Valley and, you know, talk about how you're putting that focus on, you know, the right place for workforces as well. And, uh, and maybe what you see as some of the drivers for businesses, you know, for why they're considering Miami as, you know, as the next Silicon Valley. Sure. Well, I, I think, first of all, what, what I'm probably one of those few mayors in the country that believes that what Amazon did was brilliant. Uh, and I'm actually thankful and grateful that they did it because even though we didn't win, they put us on the map. Uh, we were in the top 20 and I don't think anybody felt that Miami was a top 20 city for tech or for a tech headquarters. So just the fact that we were in the conversation was a tremendous branding opportunity for us. I see myself as a brand ambassador, as a chief brand ambassador for the city and as a city builder. Uh, so I think those two things that you hit on are, are very important. I think every mayor in America should be a brand ambassador for their city and should be someone who's a city building architect and should really give a lot of thoughtfulness to how they want the city to develop and should promote policies that effectuate that vision. So I think, I think for me, that's sort of the most important uh, thing that a mayor can do. And that's what I've been focusing on doing uh, over the last two months in particular. I mean, I've been really doing it for 10 years, but I, I had the microphone moment, if you will, after tweeting out how can I help 
uh, to move, uh, you know, Silicon Valley to Miami. And I think what's happening in Miami is a confluence of factors, some of which are intentional, some of which are accidental, but nevertheless, they're coincidental, right? So we have, uh, you know, an ever-increasing uh, tax burden, uh, which I think is a huge mistake that cities are making across the U.S. They keep taxing the residents to get out of a holes in their budget, which I think is is a is a is a death spiral in effect. Um, and then we had COVID, uh, which is obviously unfortunate, but it has created a tremendous opportunity for, for two reasons. One is it's allowed people to work remotely, so they can work and be productive from anywhere in the world, and that bodes well for a city like ours with the weather that we have and the, and the quality of life that we have. And then frankly, our policies on COVID have been significantly less restrictive than other parts of the country. And we haven't seen a huge differential in terms of incidents of COVID, you know, hospitalizations or things of that nature vis-a-vis some of these other cities that we're competing against. So we've, we've been very strategic about our decisions. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the last thing I would say is, uh, we've been welcoming and I just don't get, and, and I'll never get why, uh, you know, why a mayor would push away an industry or entrepreneurs and creators and innovators that create high paying jobs and revolutionize the industry that they're building companies in. I don't get that. I'm never going to get that. And I think you know, having come from a formerly, you know, from a currently communistic country um, like Cuba, I think really uh, shapes my narrative in so far as it is very clear to me that a, a big government, a government that just says, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to take all the property. We'll make all the decisions for you. You know, uh, we'll make sure that everybody's equal. That economy, it doesn't work. It's never worked. It's never worked in anywhere in the history of humanity. And frankly, you know, when cities continue to tax at rates of 57, 60 percent, 65, we're getting to that point where it almost seems like there's no incentive to be productive. You know, I think that's super interesting. And, you know, you, you bring up the part about being welcoming to a city. You know, we, Marty and I are both, you know, in Seattle, but we're from the Midwest, right? And, you know, I think that, you know, we're living in a city where there's a very polarizing view of you're either pro Amazon or you're not in Seattle. And, you know, I think that's very tough to wrap your head around. You know, on one hand, you know, you have a workforce development council, and this I'm, I'm hypothesizing, right, on, on some of these pieces. You have a workforce development council that, you know, their job is to bring jobs to Seattle. And, you know, how much of, uh, how much of Amazon growing is, is that a factor of a workforce development council in the city putting levers in place? Or how much of that responsibility is, hey, Amazon is just growing and they're in hyper growth mode, right? And then you know, I think that it becomes an interesting dynamic when you have some of these large brands and cities that are growing where, you know, in Seattle, sometimes it is it is difficult to admit that you work at Amazon because, you know, there's people in the city that blame Amazon for, you know, part of the problem with, uh, you know, as, as a big tech and, and ruining the culture of Seattle. And, you know, it's a tough dynamic. And so I, I love the way that you're framing this as, it's like, hey, like the city has to be welcoming to big businesses. So I guess, you know, the question is like, you know, how are you or how do you see that sort of dynamic between partnering with with companies, not just at the at the top and, you know, the top executive level, but, you know, maybe talking a little bit more about like how you see the city partnering with organizations on, you know, what I think you what you think you launched yesterday, your workforce development pipeline, right? And like, you know, yeah. not just focusing at the top level, you know, maybe you could expand upon that a little bit and how you see those partnerships working. So first, I, I really don't, again, I don't understand why cities would blame a private company that is creating high paying jobs in the community for all their societal ills. That just doesn't make sense to me. I understand that 
you know, uh, gentrification is a real issue. It's a real issue in America. It's a real issue in every urban city in America. Uh, Seattle is no different from Miami in that sense. Uh, income inequality is a real issue. It's a real issue in every urban city in America. Lack of upward mobility, wage stagnation, poverty, those are all real, homelessness, those are all real issues, right? There really is no difference between any of our major cities and all those issues. They all, We all struggle with them to some extent. I feel like we're doing much better because of the principles that we adopt and how we deal with those issues. But I, I also do think that Listen, I was part of the Amazon pitch. I came in, I had just been elected. I wasn't, I wasn't the person that ran the pitch. I think if I would have ran the pitch, we would have gotten them. But obviously I'm a homer in that sense. But, but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, I will tell you this, and this may be surprising to you. The first thing that Amazon did when they pitched us, the first thing they did was say, Hey, we understand that we as tech have a reputation and we want to hit that reputation head on. We want to be part of the fabric of the community. We want to get involved in the educational system. We want to be philanthropic. We want to. So it was almost like the jobs they were bringing. And it was almost like all that was an afterthought. That was not even the, that was anywhere. That wasn't like the third thing on the conversation. And I think there, there's a bit of trauma, right? Like we're also, you know, you don't understand people have options right? Companies have options. You think that because a company is there, that they're always going to be there. Number one, they have options. You keep taxing them to death. They will leave. And if they leave, they're going to take the tens of thousands of jobs with them. And then guess what? The people that work at the grocery store, the people that work at, you know, in businesses, the people that cut hair, the people that do all the things that are sustained in terms of an ecosystem by this big company, they're all going to be struggling. You know, look at Detroit when, when the auto manufacturers left. I mean, look at some, look at some of the coal, you know, cities and, and, and states of our country right now, um, you know, they're struggling, you know, in, in this country and in this disruptive economic environment that we find ourselves, you have to adapt and you have to be adaptable. But at the same time, I don't understand why you would shoo away uh, companies that, uh, by the way, are revolutionizing and making, uh, creating a tremendous amount of equity from the, from the perspective of, of purchasing, right? And from the perspective of decentralizing purchasing and making it easy and, and democratizing it, right? So you look at the core mission of a company like that, uh, but they're also employing tens of thousands of people. You know, they're not importing those people from Miami. I can tell you that there's nobody from Miami moving to Seattle to work for Amazon. You know, that's not happening. So, you know, I, I just, I don't get it, frankly. Uh, I think it's, in some ways, it's, it's a little bit of a backwards way of thinking about things. And, and frankly, look, we, we definitely want to make sure that as the tech ecosystem grows in our city, that it's something that provides opportunity for everyone, right? We have a brand not only called Miami Forever, but called Miami for Everyone. We want to make sure that our educational system provides digital tools, provides bandwidth, provides uh, educational curriculum that is giving every child in our city a, a chance to succeed in a modern day economy. But, you know, at the end of the day, those students, those families, they have to decide they want to do the heavy lifting. They've got to be the ones that go home and study. They got to be the ones that take the test. I don't take the test for them. You know what I mean? And they've got to create the foundations to be able to take these jobs. We're going to give them the opportunity. They have to take it. And so that, that's why that for me, some of this stuff is, is sort of foreign. Yeah, absolutely. I really love your idea of considering the mayor's job as being a brand ambassador for the city. You know, Graham and I, along with a lot of other people in the Twitter sphere, uh, obviously saw your tweets and engagement with some business owners recently. And, you know, my impression of that was a little bit surprising. I was like, it's great that a mayor's reaching out to individual business owners, A, but it's also surprising that we're also surprised that a mayor would be doing that. Uh, because in some way, that is the job of the mayor. 
you know, on that on that note, I, I have a qu- just a kind of a personal curiosity. You know, Miami has been kind of talked about in the media as the next Silicon Valley. Is that a is that a moniker that you know you at the city level like sought to grab, or is that just sort of ascribed to you, or how did that come about, and how what are you guys doing to capitalize on that? So the, the, the way a lot of this started was when Delian from Founders Fund tweeted at me or tweeted and, and I saw his tweet that said, what if we took, what if we made, uh, or what if we took Silicon Valley into Miami or what if we made a new Silicon Valley in Miami? And I tweeted, how can I help? And the reason why I did that again is because we've been trying to build a tech ecosystem for 10 years in the city and it's been painstakingly slow because it's hard to build an industry and it's hard to change your reputation. Right. And, and we were had a reputation of being a sun and fun, a cool place to go and visit, uh, but not a serious place where you could do serious work. You know, so to, to, to change that perception is not easy. And I think, uh, you know, that tweet was a lightning in the bottle moment. And the confluence of factors that I that I described has made it, you know, sort of this mythical mythological thing right now. And, and we're just trying to take advantage of it and, and make it take root. Uh, as much as possible. But I really think that every mayor in America and every mayor in the world should be doing the very exact same thing that I'm doing, because if they care about not just this generation, the generation that I belong to, but my children's generation and their children's uh, unborn children's generation, you have to do it. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're in many ways, my generation is the first tech generation because we're the ones that really grew up with computers. We're the ones that grew up with the, you know, the, these personal devices, right? We're the first ones. But our kids now, like, this is like, like, like nothing. I mean, this is like so easy for them. You know, they can do things already. My son who's six years old plays Minecraft. I don't even know how to play Minecraft. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. The stuff that he can do with my phone that I, I don't even, I don't, I wouldn't know how to start. So that's the, that's the piece that's fascinating to me. And, you know, everyone knows that my background's in, you know, in, in sales and, and working at Career Builder. And one of the pieces that I always found fascinating, you know, I went to college you know, my degree for a hot minute was informatics. And it was the first degree program of informatics to come out of Indiana University. And, you know, I, I left that because you know, it was way above my head. And, you know, then 10 years later, a career builder, that was the number one in, for, in demand, uh, you know, job and career was, you know, people, were, we need someone that was an informatics major. And, you know, it spurred this conversation. It's like every 10 years, looking 10 years out, you know, whatever jobs are in demand, you know, the top uh, 10 jobs that are in demand today, didn't exist 10 years ago. And that trend is going to continue. And that's why I think this concept of, you know, building up this, you know, tech ecosystem, it is not an overnight switch that you can flip, you know, it has to go into this, you know, this workforce development pipeline. And and I love the concept of, you know, you you hiring a, you know, a a chief technology officer for the city of Miami to help build that, you know, Mm -hmm. that pipeline, right? Uh, just proves that you're focusing on, you know, hey, this isn't an overnight decision. This is, you know, this is a long-term play. No, it's not, but it's definitely been a lightning in the bottle moment as well. Like, and I have to recognize that and be mindful of that. And that's why we're building the, the back office that we're doing with building up Venture Miami, which is how we term uh, the office that we're creating. And we're staffing it with a bunch of people because I do think this is a, a lightning in the bottle type of moment. And if, if we just say, hey, this is a, a cool cu- couple of tweets and, you know, we'll tweet for a couple of months, you know, it's, not, it, it's like, you know, planting a tree on not very deep soil. It doesn't have a chance to really take root. So I'm trying to keep the volume up. I'm trying to not only tell the stories of, of Miami, which changed the perception of Miami, but also there's a lot of untold stories that people just don't know about. A lot of successful companies that just never get that play. And so as part of sort of being a brand ambassador is, is, is a storyteller and, and tell re, the redefined story of Miami. Yeah. 
No, I think that's fantastic. All right. Well, hey, I think that's a really good place to pause. You know, again, we, we know that you got plenty of other meetings to get to, Mayor Suarez. So certainly appreciate you taking the time. You know, last thing we'll just say is, hey, you know, we'll make sure that we, everyone everyone can find you on Twitter. But where's the best place for you know people to learn a little bit more about the new Silicon Valley and the future of Miami? Well, definitely on my Twitter account, I would say, and, and sort of Instagram. But, you know, also, uh, you know, we have a, our, our web page. Uh, we haven't built out a page yet for Venture Miami. So that may be coming soon. But again, there's still a lot of work to do. So I would say... Twitter is probably the best way right now. Love it. All right. Perfect. We'll appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, looking forward to following the journey. Sounds good. Likewise. All right. Thanks for tuning in. As always, head on over to changestate.io or shoot us a note on all the social media. We'd love to hear from you and we'll check you guys next week.